We're reading today out of Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 8, if you would like to turn there. Luke chapter 12, verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. Luke chapter 12. Verse 9, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you that in that very hour what you ought to say. Gracious Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we ask that You would bless the reading of Your Word this morning, that Your Spirit would dwell in the midst of Your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We've been looking the last couple weeks at the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the lawyers. And the hypocrisy we know is saying one thing while doing something else. And that was followed up with Jesus' assurances of God's love and His sovereign care for people. He is aware of all of His creation and He knows when a sparrow falls from the sky and He has numbered the hairs on our head, which is much harder for some than others. Corpus permixtum was a Latin term that Augustine would use quite often in his description of the church. And literally what it means is mixed body. In each church, there are counted among its attenders and its members both believers and non-believers alike. I'm not able to tell who are the believers and who are not the believers because I'm unable, incapable of knowing the hearts of men. Only God is able to do that. But we certainly have in our midst sheep And we have in our midst goats. And although many of you ladies may say that you're married to an old goat, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the biblical analogy of a goat. Uh, They may very well be a saved goat. Um, Generally speaking, most of the people you ask in church, if you were to walk up and ask them, they would say, Yes, I'm a believer. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, But some may say it and not actually believe it or not necessarily even know what that means. And certainly there have been circumstances um, where someone will go to church and even go to church for their entire lives. But maybe they worship church or maybe they worship the idea of being a Christian but don't really know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In a car, we have a gas gauge. 
Now, I drive a GMC, so my gas gauge doesn't work. Um, but usually you can tell how much gas is in a car based on the gas gauge. Unfortunately, in a church, people don't have a spirit gauge on their forehead. Uh, if you are spirit-filled, by the way, you are either saved or you are on empty. You are either completely full or out of gas. That's how being filled with the Holy Spirit works. It's how being saved works. Now, there are some clues that we may have, and the Bible tells us what clues to look for. Some insight. We're allowed to examine people's fruit and look at their fruit and say, yes, this is fruit that a Christian would give. Are they disciples? Are they discipling? Are they plugged into the body? Are they functioning in the body? Are they witnessing and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others? Uh, that could give us some clues as to uh, whether or not someone is a believer. Uh, do their lives reflect the character of Christ outside of Sunday morning? We're together for an hour, an hour and a half on Sunday morning, and certainly anyone can pull off the act of being a Christian for an hour and a half a week. But if you were able to see them throughout the week, are they consistently walking with Christ? Are they studying the Word? Are they in prayer? Are they sharing Jesus with people they've met? Uh, or are they on TikTok where we see the Karens and the Kins um, or the Stans of the world as it would be? Does anyone remember who Stan is? Just this front row, right? So I was remember several weeks back I, I was quoting and there was something about Satan and I misspelled Satan. I left A out, and so it became Stan. Um, some people remember Stan well. One thing we do know as we read through this passage and as we've read through the passages and studied the passages of the week before is that there's a strong connection between what is in the heart and what comes out of the mouth. <clears throat> Luke 8.8 says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges Me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. So Jesus had just finished this rebuke of the Pharisees for saying one thing, and doing something else for declaring their lives one way, but living their lives an entirely different way. Now he calls his followers to be faithful also. What we say must reflect what we do. This is never more important than when we are confessing Christ. Right? It's... I used to drive this 72 Nova, and I had a fish. You know, the little fish people put on the bumper of their car? I didn't put that fish on the bumper of my car. I put that fish on the dashboard of my car. Because I didn't need other people to be reminded that I'm a Christian, especially when I wasn't acting that way. 
I needed to remind myself that I was a Christian, especially when I wasn't acting that way. Right? Road rage is a thing. And so having this little fish in my Nova was a good reminder to drive like I'm saved. I've since given up on that, so I don't put it inside my car anymore. Romans 10, 8 and 9 says this, but what does it say? Romans 10, 8 and 9. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. So a true believer must have two things. One, first, they must have true faith. They must believe in their hearts. And second, that faith cannot remain hidden. It's impossible. If you are a true believer, it will come out of your mouth. It's impossible to hide it. So, number one, there is a connection between what is in our heart and what comes out of our mouth. So we have to be careful because we set our own standards based on our upbringing. So every once in a while, we'll look at someone and say, you know, if we're really judging what comes out of someone's mouth and believing that what comes out of their mouth reflects what's in their heart, then I don't want any part of it because I've heard what comes out of their mouth. We have to be careful how we judge that because oftentimes from our own past, our own experiences, our own background, we have this set rule. Well, a true believer would never say that word. But that word might be totally acceptable in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world, in different circumstances. But I have a pet peeve against that word. And I'm not going to give any examples because certainly I'll upset someone. But you get the idea that we need to be careful that when we're setting this standard and saying, hey, what comes out of their mouth is going to reflect what's in their heart, we have to be careful not to be offended by what comes out of someone's mouth just because of our upbringing. But rather, is it biblical? And of course, the Bible tells us uh, no unwholesome word will come out of someone's mouth or should not come out of someone's mouth. So we should then be careful, well, what is an unwholesome word? And then the Bible tells us we'll be judged on every careless word. Well, that really raises the standard because most of us are constantly guilty of careless words. Um, but we look at that. There's a connection between what is in our heart and what comes out of our mouth. And so the argument is, if you're truly a believer... You can't remain quiet. It will come out. 
Luke 12.9 says, But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So this is huge uh, because this is one of the things that we fear, right? We don't go around and do... And I got to tell you, I'm not real big on the Christian t-shirts. I don't know why. It's just a personal thing. I'm not real big on t-shirts in general, but the Christian t-shirts and different things like that, just I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's not a big thing. I have some that are more subtle and I really love them. Um, But if we're believers, we don't necessarily need to wear it on our t-shirts, but we need to be saying it. True faith must have both components. This belief in our heart and a declaration of our mouth. If one or the other is missing, then is the faith genuine? And that depends. But certainly the opposite is also true. You have people who don't believe, but declare their belief. In sharp contrast to the joy of Jesus recognizing and declaring us before the angels would be that denial. Imagine getting to heaven and and Jesus saying, yeah, you know, but when people asked, when it mattered, you rejected me. You denied me. So, no, I'm not accepting you. I'm not declaring that I know you before the angels when you have rejected knowing me all along question comes down even at work or when you're around friends and the conversation comes up as it often does are we going to say yes I'm a believer or do we hide it it's interesting how people act differently around believers And I don't believe it's because they're convicted by me. I have no authority over them. I do believe people become convicted because of the Holy Spirit. But when you walk in a room, especially me, uh, certainly I remember working for the Sheriff's Department in Colorado Springs, and I was in the, uh, what is the room? You know, where you call, not jail. You know when you call 911, oh, dispatch. So I'm observing dispatch. And I'm sitting next to a dispatcher, and it's shift change, and so everyone's different. And this one dispatcher turns around, and she is just going off. And she's using in one string every curse word you can imagine, including the Lord's name in vain. And the dispatcher I'm sitting with says, By the way, I would like to introduce you to our new chaplain, John Wadetsky. And you could have just seen (laughs) those looks are just, yes, so memorable. But I mean, just her face just melted. It was like, uh. And of course, I'm like, I mean, it's the sheriff's department. I've been on here for a while. It's not an issue. I'm I'm not personally offended by what comes out of people's mouths. I I can't be. We live in the world, but we're not to be 
of the world. And so certainly, there is an advantage to people knowing we're believers. Because they know how they should act. They know what is right. They know what is wrong. And as soon as they know there's a believer and you say, well, you know, I don't want to be the, the stick in the mud at every party. But you know, actually, it's okay to be in the stick in the mud at every party if it means I don't have to put up with some of what goes on at parties. Or I don't have to hear certain words. But either way, it is a witness when people just know that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who reject Jesus will be rejected by Jesus. That's what he said. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the angels in heaven. Hypocrisy is when someone says they're a Christian, but internally or through their mouth, they reject the teachings of Jesus Christ, reject the apostles, Reject the Word of God. I've had people say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe everything in the Bible. Hmm. In the beginning was, and the, was with God, and the Word was God. So I'm confused. Because either we believe in Jesus, that He is God, that He is the Word of God, or we do not. So when people start picking apart the Bible and saying, well, you know, I believe this, but I don't believe this, or I only believe the words written in red, or, and literally they will start tearing this apart and picking it, based on whether or not it's convenient. It's one of the reasons I teach the way I teach. Again, right? Verse by verse, sentence by sentence, word by word. And certainly there are are chapters and verses and words that I teach that are difficult for me to teach because they convict me as well. Or maybe because they're socially unpopular. Like, oh my goodness, if I say this, people are watching this online, and guess what? I'm going to get a phone call, I'm going to get a letter, I'm going to read it in uh, the editorials, or whatever it may be, and all of that has happened and does happen. But I'm not called to like everything I'm called to teach. I'm called to know that it is God's Word, and it is truth and sometimes that's hard right when you say well just because it's true doesn't necessarily mean I like it I love it but it might be really hard here we need to know that one of the telltale signs of being a believer is believing what is in this book so things like I believe in God, who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection. I believe in the second coming. These things we hold as foundational to the Christian faith. And you say, well, what if 
I believe all of that, but not that. Well, that's a problem. Right? It's like driving a car on three tires. It doesn't work. You can't get there from here. Then in verse 10, it says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So this is something that's so common because people say, well, what does blasphemy against the Holy Spirit mean? And they begin wondering, well, have I committed that sin? It's a very scary thing to believe that there is a sin that is so egregious that once you've committed that sin, there is no going back. It is condemnation and th in this life and for all eternity. If you commit this sin, you're done. You're not going to heaven. There's not going to be any angels. There's no harps on the clouds for you. Just this fiery expectation of eternal judgment. It's a scary thought. So what would be the sin that is so egregious that this is the outcome? And so people say, well, you know, I mean, murder's pretty bad. Maybe it's murder. But certainly we see in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, we see the forgiveness of David who killed Uriah. Uh, well, what about um, adultery? Adultery is really bad. And so possibly that would be a sin that's unforgivable in this life and in the future life. But then, of course, we see John chapter 7, verse 53 through 8, chapter 11, and we know, or chapter 8, verse 11, and we were like, okay, well, so here's the woman at the well, and Jesus forgives her. So adultery is not it. So what is the unforgivable sin? And it's important to note that it's words. Right? It's not an action. It's not killing somebody. It's not stealing. It's not, it's actually based on what someone says, what they do, they do. So Jesus tells us that this sin, and there is a sin that has eternal consequences. Um, and so it's this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So I hear people. And they'll use the Lord's name in vain. They'll use Jesus' name in an unwholesome way. They'll attach it to curse words. They'll say it flippantly. And we're like, okay, well, you're using the Lord's name in vain. Is that possibly it? And no, it's not what it says. And then we hear God's name taken in vain. And I've got to tell you, we went over the Lord's Prayer and it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, we're not supposed to use the, God, the, the word God and just throw it around like trash. His name is to be hallowed. It is sacred. It is holy. Can we use it? Certainly we can use it, but we need to be careful in the context that we use it. His name is to be hallowed and honored and respected. But certainly people use it differently. Is that unforgivable? Well, we no. That's also not unforgivable. 
So we see these two names that can be used in a holy and a worthy manner and also in an unholy and unworthy manner. But to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, for that there is no forgiveness. So Kenneth Birding is a New Testament professor at Talbot School of Theology. And he defines blasphemy of the Holy Spirit like this. Thus, the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Spirit is not a wayward word uttered in a moment of anger, nor is it some other dramatic sin like murder or suicide or adultery. As stated before, blasphemy against the Spirit is ongoing hardening of your heart against the Holy Spirit who is trying to lead you to repent of sin and believe in Christ. So blasphemy against the Spirit is the ongoing hardening of your heart against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the Holy Spirit's call to repent and become a Christian. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the Holy Spirit's call to repent and believe in Christ. And so I hear people use the Lord's name in vain and certainly over the years have asked, um, you know, hey, could we leave that word out? Could we just not use God's name there? And I, I have a friend of mine and nothing irks him more, and rightfully so, than hearing someone use God's name in vain. But I've seen him walk up to total strangers on the street and blast them for using God's name in vain. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure I'd do that. Because ultimately, everyone is held account accountable for the words we use. So I hear this question a lot. People come up and say, but have I committed this sin? I've even had believers ask the question, am I guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? How do I know whether or not I'm a Christian just because of some of the words I've used or said some things maybe in, in, in helplessness or hopelessness or a state of anger I've I've uttered these words. Am I guilty of this sin? And here's what I would say. If you are concerned with whether or not you've committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, you have not. Because a person who has committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit has no concern for their spiritual warfare. Or welfare warfare. I guess that's... Uh, a person who is guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit usually understands there is a God. They just don't care. They don't want His salvation. They don't want the sacrifice of the Son. They have turned their back on the sacrifice that Jesus made for them that washes away their sin. So they're usually aware of it. They just don't care. Luke 
12, 11 and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So that's a very interesting verse. We're going to look into it a little bit. But when we look at wisdom and knowledge, we uh, look, of course, usually to the book of Proverbs. And in those early chapters of Proverbs, we see wisdom foundations. So in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. So the truth is we all feel at times as though we can kind of outthink God. It's kind of like, you know God, if you would just do this, everything would be okay. If you would just heal this person or give me this job or let me win the lottery, everything would be fixed. We like to tell God exactly what needs to happen. Instead, the Proverbs say, trust in the Lord. Certainly, He is worthy. He has earned a position of someone in whom we're able to put our trust. We're supposed to trust Him, not just that in the end we will go to heaven and have salvation and spend all eternity with Him, but we're supposed to trust Him in the very next breath we breathe, there will be enough oxygen to sustain us. And certainly we need to trust Him when we go to Walmart. We're to trust Him in all things. We find ourselves before the Pharisees, the authorities, the rulers... We're not supposed to think ahead about, oh, what am I going to say? How do I best convince a judge? How do I, you know, there, there may come a time as our country is, is quickly running away from the presence of God. It, it is actually very likely that if not us, our children will be faced with the very real possibility of having to answer for their faith as often we do even on a daily basis. And it says, don't worry about what you're going to say. In that moment, at that time, in that hour, the Holy Spirit will tell us what we're supposed to say. What we're supposed to do. The implications of this is uh, so much more, though. We're, when we look at Proverbs uh, chapter 3, it's not just that we trust the Holy Spirit to give us the words to say when we need it. We're supposed to trust the Holy Spirit and acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways. In every decision that we make, in every conversation, when we are in trouble, and in times of triumph in sickness and in health sometimes our decisions will seem like foolishness to the world oh no you're not supposed to do that yeah but that's what god is telling me to do 
Those are the things the Bible says you're not supposed to worry about tomorrow. What we're supposed to worry about is what is God telling us right now at this very moment and am I faithful to be obedient to what He has called us to? So number four, we are to trust the Lord in all things. In absolutely everything. From the smallest decisions to our eternal salvation. So the four main points today is there's connection between what is in our heart and what comes out of our mouth. Those who reject Jesus will be rejected by Jesus, right? This is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to reject the Spirit's call. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the Holy Spirit's call to repent and believe in Jesus. And four, we are to trust the Lord in everything. In all things. Not just the hard things, but the easy things too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God who loves us and cares for us and is faithful. Lord, as we read these passages, it can be scary because we all tend to have times where we overshare, where we speak too much. Lord, we would ask that um, we would be assured of our salvation. That Your Spirit would be very um, evident in our lives and in our heart, but also in our speech and in our actions. We thank You, Lord, for Your faithfulness. So great is Your love for us that You paid such a great price that we might know You. Truly, You are an awesome and amazing God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.